I've pleased the good news according to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and we're going to read verses 27 and 28. <clears throat> While you're finding that, I want to thank uh, our musicians. Uh, Joe did such a great job, and Esther did such a great job. The ladies' ensemble did such a great job. And I appreciate uh, Billy, it, it, you know, in these unusual days when there's so many people who are not quite ready to get out, and, and when we can't sing, it's... Uh, it's, it's really difficult. I haven't heard him complain, but it's got to be difficult. Usually, uh, his job is not all that hard. I mean, with, you know, with the, <laughs> the big choir and the orchestra, I mean, anybody could do that. But to put together this uh, meaningful music with, uh, without all that is really, really good. I, <laughs> I appreciate it, Billy. Well, we come to the last sermon in this series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus preached on, the, um, on that mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And we come to a, a difficult text and a difficult uh, topic. In fact, poor Kristen, I, you know, she always tries to, uh, to do the children's sermon that parallels the sermon I'm going to do. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, well, on the on this Sunday, I'm talking about adultery. She said, what am I supposed to do a children's sermon on? And I thought the rubber ducky was perfect. It was just, just a great analogy. And, but it's hard for me, it's hard for me too, to talk about something so uh, sensitive, but, um, but I have to. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 27. Picture Jesus again on the... Sea of Galilee, or overlooking the Sea of Galilee on the mountainside, and he says to those who, listen, who are listening to him as one who's never spoken with such authority and clarity, and he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, that was a given. It's one of the ten big ones. It's one of the ten commandments. So he, that's a given. He's assuming that, but he goes further. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sadly, lots of marriages that begin with a wedding photographer taking pictures of the, the groom feeding wedding cake uh, to the bride end with a uh, private investigator taking a picture or pictures of one of them, the bride or the groom, out in a place uh, they shouldn't be with somebody they shouldn't be with. Now, the fact of infidelity is um, all too uh, common and obviously uh, a hard subject to talk about. But country music has provided a soundtrack for a sermon on infidelity. In fact, um, you know, sometimes baseball has kind of started again. Sometimes when the batters come up to, uh, to bat, they play the the background music that, that he's chosen. Well, I, uh, they suggested this morning that I should have walked up to Alan Jackson singing uh, Who's Cheating Who and Who's Being True. That, that song says, Who's Cheating Who, Who's Being True, Who Don't Even Care Anymore. And it makes you wonder who's doing right with someone tonight and whose car is parked next door. Jesus took on the topic of cheating. It's in the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. So to be true to Jesus and true to the Bible, I have to tackle it too. And I think there are lessons here uh, for all of us to learn. First, uh, work on your marriage before you ever give or receive a ring. 
Work on your marriage before you ever say wedding vows. Work on your marriage before you stand at the front and look at the bride come down the aisle or walk down the aisle as a bride. My point is that chastity before marriage is wonderful preparation for fidelity after marriage. We live in a rather promiscuous society, and, and so when it's assumed that people will have multiple physical partners, and when it's assumed by some, at least in some corners, that people are going to live together, it's not all that surprising that when we come to marriage, people don't have the skills, they've not prepared for the challenge of fidelity. Because when people choose not to have a physical relationship uh, before they say their wedding vows, then they learn things like self-control, things like uh, delayed gratification. And those things come in handy after one has said uh, one's wedding vows. So if you're not yet married, then the good news is you can work on your marriage right now. Even before uh, you get engaged, maybe, you can develop the kind of skills, the kind of, of sexual discipline uh, that will serve you well after your marriage. Chastity before marriage prepares, uh, prepares us for fidelity after marriage. That's the first thing. Pre work on your marriage even before you say your vows. Uh, second, check your naivete. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Don't be naive. Admit uh, your vulnerability. All of us are vulnerable. Adultery is not just the sin of those people who have no morals and values and scruples. Sometimes adultery is the, is the sin of people who thought marriage is forever and adultery is for someone else. A couple, as an example, a couple meet, maybe at the water cooler or the coffee pot, or maybe at, in break at the, at the office in the break room. And they realize they have several things in common. Maybe they're concerned, they, have, they share a concern about something in the, in the company. They talk about their lives, they talk about their families, they talk about their churches. They're both members of churches and active in their respective churches. Well, they enjoy their chat and they say, we ought to, we ought to chat again sometime. And, and they do. So next time they see each other in the break room or the water cooler or the coffee pot, they, they talk again and they realize they have more in common. And, and so they say, let's get to, maybe let's get together and we'll have lunch in the company dining room maybe next week. And so they do. And, and they enjoy, they enjoy that. They look forward to that. They enjoy each other. And they meet for chat after chat and and then after a while, they really begin to look forward to that chat. And, and he dabs on a little extra Old Spice in the mornings when he knows they're going to have that chat that day. And then they've chatted so often and become so comfortable with each other that one day um, she shares her heart. She says, um, I just need to tell somebody if I can tell you I, things are not good at home. I, my marriage is in trouble. My and then she goes further to divulge that her, her husband doesn't seem to love her anymore and doesn't seem to appreciate her anymore. And, and he empathizes and he says, boy, if I, were your, if I were your husband, I'd appreciate you. And, and then before too long, uh, they've crossed the line and their lives are a mess and two homes are wrecked. And, and if you had asked them a year earlier, if you had asked them a year earlier, do you even have the capacity to be unfaithful, they would have said no. I, I, 
they would have said marriage is forever and adultery is for someone else. I'm saying don't be naive. We are all, if you think you're standing firm, the Bible says, be careful lest you, lest you fall. Adultery is not always the sin of people with no values and morals and scruples. Sometimes good people, Christian people, church people uh, fall into that trap. Don't be, don't be naive. Third, watch your eyes. Jesus expanded the, the definition of adultery, did he not? He said, you've always heard, you grew up hearing from the Ten Commandments that, that, you know, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you that it's not just a physical relationship. He says, even the person, if you look at that woman lustfully, then he has committed adultery in his heart. There is such a thing then as visual or virtual adultery, which means, of course, and, and our minds go appropriately, first maybe to pornography, which is a form of adultery. Or daydreaming or fantasizing, also forms of adultery. Fantasizing about that woman on the beach, daydreaming about that man at work. Virtual adultery, looking with, with lust. Lust is a dangerous thing. It's like a virus that enters our computer. You know, if I drop my computer and then when I log on and it's not working right, well, I know what happened. But if I you know, accidentally click on a link in an email and they download a virus to my computer. It doesn't work right and I'm not quite sure. Pornography and daydreaming and fantasizing are, are like viruses in, in the computer of our souls. Things just aren't right. There's a, it, pornography is like that, that silent, invisible obstacle between a husband and a wife. It's that silent, invisible obstacle between us and our Creator. Jesus said, adultery is not just about uh, two people having a physical relationship. There is this thing called virtual or visual adult adultery. So, so work on your marriage even before you get married. Don't be naive and watch your eyes. And fourth, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. And Malachi 2.15, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. We began with Alan Jackson's Who's Cheatin' Who. There's another country music song that's appropriate here. Patty Loveless sang, blame it on your heart. Are you headed for a heartache? Oh yeah. Gonna get a bad break? Oh yeah. You made a bad mistake? Oh yeah. Hey, blame it on your lying, cheating, cold, dead, beaten, two-timing, double-dealing, mean, mistreating, loving heart. Guard your heart, for all of us have a potential. Lying, cheating, cold, dead, beaten, two-timing, double-dealing, mean, mistreating, loving heart. Some affairs are not physical, and they're not just visual. They are emotional affairs of the heart. Now, there's a reason we... We call emotional affairs affairs. It's because they are affairs. They are illicit relationships between people that have not become physical, but there is a connection, there is an intimacy, an emotional intimacy that has crossed the line and that is, is not only wrong, but it is dangerous. And so I'm going to say there are going to be a lot of people watching today by TV and online and, in, and of course, lots of us in this room. Uh, I would say it is almost statistically impossible that there won't be somebody who is 
engaging in at least an emotional affair. So I would say to you, run. You are jeopardizing everything that is important to you. You are playing with fire on thin ice. It is, it is wrong, it is dangerous, and of course, lots of emotional affairs end up as physical affairs. If you find yourself um, looking forward to tomorrow when you will see her, or to the ball game when you will see him, when you find yourself the one who's dabbing on a little extra Old Spice when you know you're going to see her, you are in dangerous territory. It is, it is infidelity, it is emotional infidelity. It is wrong and it is dangerous. So guard your heart. Next, build a corral. Stephen Arterburn uh, wrote in every man's, uh, his book, In Every Man's Battle, he wrote, that, that men are like Mustangs, and I think it's appropriate to apply to all of us, men and women. He said, men have this Mustang inside them, this wild horse inside them. And the best way to keep a wild horse out of trouble, he said, or a Mustang out of trouble, is to build a corral, to build the parameters beyond which the, the Mustang cannot go. And it is applicable to all of us in our Christian marriages. We've got to build a corral to establish boundaries, parameters, and to establish them now when we are not in danger. The time to have a fire drill, if you want to have a fire drill with your family, the time to do it is before the house is burning. Do it now if you're going to do it. So we're, we're talking about establishing boundaries or parameters for the marriage. Let me give you a few. One. Be careful about working late, alone, with someone of the opposite gender. If you have to, make sure your spouse knows what's doing. Call every once in a while. Tell him or her to bring snacks. Be really careful. Traveling alone. Be really careful traveling alone with someone of the opposite gender. You might want to invite your spouse to go with you. It might be the best vacation days they ever took. Eating alone with members of the opposite gender. I actually mentioned this before, and I know that it's easier for me uh, in my role than it is for some of you in your businesses. I know sometimes it's necessary to have uh, a business meal, lunch, or dinner with someone of the opposite gender, but be careful. Lots of affairs certainly have begun over coffee and dessert. If you, ha if you have to go, take a third party if you can. Just be really, really careful. And, not, and you know, most, most business lunches between a man and a woman are perfectly innocent. But we are vulnerable. Guard your heart. Set up boundaries if you can. Now, I, I'm, I, uh, I know that if, if the, a guy is the manager or the boss, if a man is the manager or the boss, and he's only going to lunch with guys, then that develops a cronyism or just you know, an old boys network. And I'm, that, is, that was wrong. That's, that's unfair to the ladies in the office or the workplace, wherever it is. So I'm not suggesting that. You've got, we've got to be inclusive and not disadvantage anybody. But, but be careful because we all are vulnerable. If you're traveling, alone. Don't flirt. Be careful of Facebook. My goodness, be careful of Facebook. Now, I like Facebook, but you know stories, I guess I do, I know stories of good people 
Good people who said marriage is forever and adultery is for someone else. But good people who just, you know, clicked and, and, and friended an old, you know, flame, maybe from high school. You know, we're all looking for the fountain of youth, try, you know, chasing those elusive windmills like Don Quixote did, trying to, you know, feel that youthful vigor again. And, you know, man clicks on his high school girlfriend, you know, they're both married, it's innocent. But, you know, when they begin to chat, he, he begins to feel young again. And lots of tragic stories began with, um, with a like on Facebook. Facebook can be, uh, can be dangerous. Don't talk about deep emotional issues with people of the opposite gender. If you need to talk, get a counselor or find somebody of your own gender. Don't, don't go to those deep emotional intimate places with some, someone of the opposite gender. We, we connect at, at, at too deep a, a level. <clears throat> I know that there's some who will, who will think that I'm alarmist or unrealistic or prudish. But I'd rather a thousand people think I'm prudish than to have one person one day come to me and say, Pastor, I, I, I didn't know I was capable, but I've crossed the line and I've, our marriage is in trouble. Now their marriage, another, another home is in trouble. And I want you to pray for me, Pastor, but I also have a question for you. Why didn't you ever warn me I'd rather a thousand people think me a prude than for one person one day to say, why didn't you ever warn me? Build a corral. Maybe more importantly, nurture your marriage. Proverbs 5 reads, do you not know the saying, drink from your own barrel, draw water from your own spring-fed well? It's true, otherwise you may come home and find your barrel empty and your well polluted. If we don't pay attention to the home front, the well runs dry. Carrie and I used to have a flag when we lived in Richmond down at the end of the driveway, one of those yard flags, and it read, uh, the grass is greener where it is watered. It wasn't talking about grass, it's talking about a home. When, when couples don't pay attention to their marriage, they become vulnerable. So pay attention to your marriage, pay attention to each other. William Harley talked about, wrote a book about an affair-proof marriage, and you can build an affair-proof marriage if you will nurture uh, your marriage. Now, this is the hard part. What if this talk is too late? What if someone on TV or live stream or in the room is saying, too late for me? Well, there is hope. I read not too long ago that 35% of marriages in which there is an infidelity, 35% survive. I cannot imagine how difficult that is, but it is possible, and there is hope. The one who has been unfaithful, of course, has to turn with a heartfelt repentance, obviously has to cut off all relationships with that other party, obviously has to work hard and be patient to regain the trust of his or her spouse. And the one who's been, well, cheated on has to be willing to say, I, we're not going to overlook this. We're not going to brush this, not going to sweep this under the rug. 
has to choose to forgive and love, and that has to be terribly difficult. And, you, and you're going to need more than two minutes of encouragement. You're going to need serious counseling and a lot of time. But I want to say there is, there is hope if this message is too late. Finally, uh, if something is missing in your life, then remember Jesus' words to the Samaritan woman. He said to her, I will give you living water and you never will be thirsty again. And we'll come back to that. Decades ago, G.K. Chesterton, then a British uh, columnist, wrote, when a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he is looking for God. What does he mean by that? Well, there's an interesting thing in the Old Testament surrounding the, the verb to know. If you've been in Sunday school for a long time, especially if you grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, you know that to know is kind of a euphemism, a nice way of speaking of physical intimacy between a husband and wife. Galatians, excuse me, Genesis 4.1 says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. So to know, which is the Hebrew verb yada, is a way of speaking of the physical relationship between a husband and wife. Interestingly, at least to me. Time after time after time in the Old Testament, that same verb, yada, to know, is used to describe our relationship with our Father Creator. Like in that beautiful story of Hosea and Gomer, where Gomer is unfaithful and Hosea goes to get her. God uses that story as an illustration, as an analogy, and says, just like that, I will draw my unfaithful people to me, and they will yada, me. They will know me. It, it's that intimate, close, profound relationship between us and our Creator that some people are trying to find and replace with this one or that one. Remember Jesus and the Samaritan woman? She'd been married five times, was living now with a man not her husband. Jesus said, I'm going to give you living water and you won't thirst anymore. He wasn't talking about water. He was talking about that deep, built-in, wired desire for yada. To be known by, to be profoundly, intimately connected to our Creator and Father. This lady had been trying to find that. Tried five marriages and it didn't, never found it. Now living with the guy, still hadn't found it. One more country song. Johnny Lee sang, don't know where it started or where it might end. I turned to a stranger, just like a friend. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Searching their eyes and looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. Someone watching me in this room, on TV, sitting in front of your computer, are longing to be known deeply. You're looking for something to fill um, that emptiness, and you may be looking for love in all the wrong places. There's an old gospel song that says, only Jesus can satisfy my soul, and it's true. A Samaritan woman at the well found that out. 
And you can know that. I invite you to Jesus to turn to Him with all you have and all that you are. For the truth is that only Jesus can satisfy your soul. We thank God that even sometimes we are not, though sometimes we are not faithful. But God is, we're going to be reminded of that in our meditation. That God's faithfulness is great. And I want you to know that after our closing prayer, I'm going to hang around down front if anyone would like to come and talk about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be part of our church family. Uh, I will wait on you.